Welcome to Faith Fondue, a podcast featuring author and speaker Haley D. Maria and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. It's the week of July 25th, the 17th week in ordinary time. Hi, Ann. How are you? Hi, Haley. Good morning. And, you know, last week, I think I did it a little bit after the fact, but I realized, you know, it was halftime, meaning like halfway through the year and we continue in ordinary time. Today, we will talk about the Olympics, which started Friday night, July 23rd, which is actually the same day that Ted Lasso season two is released. Uh, We'll talk about schools and how they celebrate um, the Olympians that maybe they've graduated and trained and formed, as we like to think, um, Color War, which sounds really fun. Um, And then today's gospel, the loaves and fishes. So talk to me, Haley, as a swimmer, you must love the Olympics. Um, Have you been tuning in to, you know, what's going on in Tokyo? Yes, we have. Um, We started. So first of all, you know, and I'm sure everyone's heard me say this before. When you're a swimmer, when you are an athlete in an Olympic sport, I mean, the Olympics are it. This is the pinnacle of, you know, any goal that any Olympic sport athlete has. Um, you know, maybe if you're a cyclist, maybe the Tour de France is, you know, and, um, golf is not an Olympic sport. So oh, no, it is. Oh, it it's is. a new, yeah. newer one. Yeah. Correct. Okay. It, it was in the early 20th century. It was a Olympic sport and they brought it back. Yeah. Four years ago. Okay. So all right. Back. So it's yes. back. But I know what you mean. I, the majors are the stage for golfers or like for the tennis pinnacle. players, the grand slam. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yes. So, but, you know, for swimmers, we, we have world championships, but, you know, they, literally the Olympics are it. Um, so it has, it's been fun, but it's, it seemed a little different this year. And, and I don't know if you're feeling that too. Um, first of all, I'm just thrilled that they're playing. I'm thrilled they're competing. Uh, you know, I was glad they postponed it from last year as opposed to canceling it all together. Um, but we started off watching the uh, opening ceremonies on Friday night, and we did not get through all of it. Um, and, and I'm not really sure why it was a little strange, um, you know, with the empty stadium, I, I never really kind of understood or, or fully gotten into and embraced the performances that take place that need to be explained. Um, so, you know, you're watching something happening on a field and you have the commentary of what's actually happening, which, you know, I always feel like if you have to explain it to me, they're, they're not doing a very good job. Um, You know, I love the parade of athletes. I think that's a really exciting moment for an athlete. I have to imagine that it is. Oh, I bet. Um, But, you know, it was also a little strange to see them parading in and waving. I guess they're waving to the cameras, waving to, you know, their family at home, which is awesome. I would wave too. Um, You know, and I, so I don't know what the different feeling is. You know, Tokyo is a whole different time zone world, half a world away. So yes. I had seen all the social media pictures of kind of the athletes I know who are there. I'd seen their opening ceremony photos already. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a different vibe. I will watch. I will continue to watch. It's exciting. Um, you know, these are dreams come true for all of these athletes. Um, and you don't always get a glimpse into that. Um, but it does feel a little different. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I, I hear you. I, I agree. I don't know. Um, I think Tokyo is what, well, I'm in California, so 16 hours ahead. Um, you know, when I went there, I just remember being a little bit discombobulated about the time and trying to do the math. But um, 
I just, I don't know if I've grown weary of kind of the detractors, the things that, you know, this athlete is not going to be there because of COVID. For example, Coco Goff, like, man, that's a loss. She's an awesome, you know, American. She's one of my favorite tennis players. Um, you know, her parents were going to be able to go because she is under 18 and, you know, had a chance for the gold. So you keep hearing these stories of like who won't be there and what um, is different, these cardboard beds or, you know, whatnot. And even just like life for the Olympi- Olympians. Yes. And the games for the Olympiad, right? Or Correct. what's an Olympiad versus, right? So yeah, the, I need the language here. Yeah. So the Olympiad, I believe, is the four years kind of like, you know, it's the, okay. the 23rd Olympiad. So it's kind of Oh, like, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Right. Got it. It's not the 23rd. I made that up, but. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so um, I wish, you know, we would take away from that and focus on the stories and the athletes who are there. And um, I have certainly noticed um, schools, for example, my high school, Crondelet, um, on social media is promoting past Olympians. So Natalie mm-hmm. Coughlin, one of the most decorated swimmers, she's awesome. She went to Crondelet, swam for Crondelet, um, as did um, Tiffany Roberts, 95 from Crondelet. She was a soccer player on the U.S. women's you know soccer team. Uh, Stanford University is certainly proud of the number of Olympians they have in the games. And obviously at Notre Dame, um, we are too. So I thought it was interesting because, you know, then they try and dramatize like how many American gold medals there are. And this is the first time we haven't had a gold in, you know, X number of years or something. But Lee Kiefer, uh, who is a U.S. fencer, she's a Notre Dame alumna. She's the first Olympic gold medal. And it just she's actually a two time Olympian. She's probably like this is what it says on, on Fighting Irish Media. She says it's arguably one of the most accomplished student athletes at Notre Dame. So she, yeah, she graduated from Notre Dame. She's been a number one fencer in the world, you know, many years. I think she's a four-time NCAA champion. And so um, I've shown like her story in class about fencing and the opening line is very provocative. It says fencing is beautiful. And you see the sword and you see like the jab and like, it's very dramatic and it's so cool so I'll definitely link that. I don't think of fencing as beautiful, but I know what she means. And I like that about sports that um, there really is like beauty in football, even though it's so savage or like, you know, violent, I should say, but there's also beauty in it. So um, congratulations to Lee Kiefer and to Fighting Irish Fencing Program. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, I think we all do that all of us individually, all of us collectively, either as a school or an area, you know, our hometown, um, you know, it's kind of fun to support those you kind of know, you know, we certainly don't know any of these people, but we have connections to them. And, um, you know, there was a, you know, the winner of the men's 400 IM is from Baltimore. So of course that's big news around here. And, um, you know, we're all both you and I, you know, following the Notre Dame athletes who were there. Um, so it is kind of fun to have a connection, you know, Byron, Willie, uh, Byron Spruill is, um, he's the president of the NBA. He played football at Notre Dame, but he's, yeah. he's over there, you know, with men's basketball. Of course, they had a, an interesting loss, um, recently, same with women's soccer, Kate Markgraf. She's yeah. the general first general manager of women's soccer. She's over there as well. They had a tough loss last week, you know, and, and rebounded pretty well, but so it's, it's just kind of fun to have those connections, um, whether it's a high school or an area or 
somebody that you kind of know their name because you went to college together. Um, you know, it's, yep. it, it makes yeah. it more personal, but yeah, uh, they're fun to yeah, watch. Oh, I was going to say, it reminds me, my friend was on a flight from Denver to here, San Francisco, and he was on the flight with the U.S. boxing team. And he said that people cheered and clapped for the team. They made the announcement on the flight. I thought that was so cool. And I said, is it men and women? He said, yes. And and he was just so pro-Olympics. And it was such a great story coming back to this, maybe the, the narrative for so long had been like 80% of the Japanese people do not want the Olympic Games, you know, and like, again, the reality is very tough, but he was like, it was so energetic and such a positive experience. He's like, it was great to celebrate them. So yeah, we get to celebrate these athletes and why should we not, you know? Yeah, that's, you make a good point. The narrative needs to be the athletes and not COVID, who's there, who's not there. Um, we need to kind of bring it back to to sport. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, and, you know, one, of, one of the athletes that's there is Jessica Springsteen, her parents, um, Patty Scalfa and Bruce Springsteen are, you know, um, incredible musicians. Her mom is a good musician in her own right. Um, her dad, I have this program. It's um, from the Born in the USA tour from 1984, 1985. And it lists his nickname. It says the hardest working man in show business. And I was thinking about Jessica and, um, you know, she's competing in equestrian. I We'll probably learn the event, Haley, as a result of this. Like, I know that there's jumping. I, I, maybe you know a little bit more about it. But where she's it's from in much. New Jersey is known for, you know, horses and horse training, Colts Neck, New Jersey, Rumson area. Um, and she she was a collegiate athlete. She went to Duke, and she was an equestrian there. And now she's in the Olympics. And I'm sure there are detractors who are saying, well, this is a woman of privilege, which is true. I mean, she is. Her parents are, you know, incredibly wealthy and you don't become an Olympian because of your wealth. Like she's had to put in the time. She's had to put in the effort. Um, you know, it's also, I know you met Christopher Reeve in your lifetime and like he was, had his accident based on like being on a horse. Like it's not without danger. And she's, I'm sure she's fallen many times, but I have been thinking about the example she must have seen in her parents their work ethic, and it had to have rubbed off on her. And that's how I would like to give her all the credit because she's done it. She didn't have to do it. She is an Olympian and a very engaging one. Um, I saw her on the Today Show. She looks just like her mom and dad as a combo. Beautiful woman and just so proud that she's representing the United States. So, yeah, that's awesome. You know, another um, and, you know, we, we stay out of politics on this podcast. We like to be Switzerland here. Um, but there are, you know, we have, I have heard some grumblings that, um, people are not as interested in some of these teams who are, are taking a political stand through their sport. Um, you know, women's soccer, the women's soccer team comes to mind. Um, you know, there are people who are, are letting the women's soccer players that whatever their personal political feelings are get in the way of actually being able to cheer for them. And, and, and that's upsetting, you know, we need to support, support our athletes and support, you know, the, the flag and and what that represents and that's free speech. And, um, but there are some Americans who, um, for whom that's very difficult for them to, to go ahead and embrace, um, those two. So that's another side that, um, you know, hopefully we'll overcome. Navigate those lines. Right. Because, You know, I have wondered, um, for example, in the WNBA, they've been very like outspoken on, you know, gay and lesbian rights. And, and, you know, for people who may have a different point of view, what is your ability, like, 
on a team, you don't want to ever take away from the team. You want to build the team. And so do we allow for many points of view? I don't know. I mean, again, respect, dignity, like all these things that are fundamental and how can we let each other be in that space and to make a statement or to take a stand or to not take a stand is seen as both and it's polarizing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So our wish, yeah, yeah, our wish for these athletes is that they can just go compete, enjoy the experience. Cause for most of them, this will be, you know, it's a once in a lifetime shot. So, um, I'm, I'm always sad when that's taken away from, from someone for whatever reason. Um, I did mention last week I was going to watch the Israeli, um, national Olympic baseball team. I did go do that. It was super fun. Um, cool. yep. They are off to the Olympics this weekend. Of course, baseball is a sport for the first time. I have a friend who's coaching that team. It's primarily made up of, of Jewish Americans. So, you know, major league baseball players, minor league baseball players. So they are mostly American, but it's the first time that baseball has been in the Olympics and, um, yeah. the, the Israel national team was excited to qualify. So again, it's kind of fun to, have a team to follow that I would normally um, not take interest in just because of that personal connection. But yeah. Oh yeah. It always draws us in. Now I have a question about that. Yeah. Um, I would like to know how, what percentage of athletes are competing for a country in which they are not a national. So, you know, we use the word like U S national, Israeli national, meaning you live and grow up there. So it'd be interesting, you know, like if you are competing for Canada and you're not competing for the U.S. because you have citizenship or, you know, like, again, um, by their birthright, they have, you know, Israeli citizenship, you know, as a Jew. So I'd be curious, like, is it 20% of Olympians? Probably 10, 5? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's that high. It's pretty common in, I shouldn't say it's pretty common. It happens every Olympics in swimming, I know for sure. Um, you know, even this year, there's a, a, a boy from Annapolis, Tyler Christensen. He swims for Notre Dame. Um, Mm -hmm. he's, he's there representing Panama. Um, now I would imagine one of his parents is, is from Panama. So he has dual citizenship. I'm guessing that, um, there was a girl I swam with, um, same thing. One of her parents was from, um, the Dominican Republic. So she was able to swim on behalf of their, that country. Um, I know, you know, another guy I swam with at, at Notre Dame, his, his mother was Brazilian. His sister swam. Actually, it's kind of an amazing story. She represented Brazil in the 1996 Olympics. Um, she swam at Stanford and then qualified for the, um, the U.S. Olympic team to represent the United States in the 2000 Olympics. So she actually, different Olympics represented different countries. It's a lot easier to make an Olympic team in other, from another country. Certainly in swimming it is. Um, you know, U S swimming Olympic trials is probably the fastest meet in the world. It's usually faster than the Olympics, um, because you have so many strong Americans. So I don't think it's a large number, but I'm clearly, I'm sure it happens, but, um, usually you have to have dual citizenship. Yeah. So yeah, that's, Um, it's an interesting sidebar. Yeah. Um, you know, people don't know, I mean, they might, but like, for example, 21% of the NBA is foreign born. So, I mean, that's one in five players yeah, is, that's you know, pretty high. playing in this country. So, you know, w- again, it'd be interesting to see, yeah, what percentage of that. Um, and even on, yeah, how many Americans are playing basketball for another country? So, 
Well, anyway, sorry about your son. Yeah, I know. Speaking of basketball, that was just a, uh, it was tough. Um, yeah. But, you know, I listened to, it was a very long, well, long, it was 13 minutes. That's that's kind of, <laughs> that's long for me to capture my attention yeah. for a post-game press conference. Um, but, you know, I am such a big fan of Monty Williams and what he's done with the Suns and just of him and, and, you know, personally and what he's done personally and professionally and, you know, his own experience and career. And so I listened to his post-game press conference and, um, you know, he was pretty subdued. He was clearly upset. He got very emotional at the end. And that's kind of what yeah. shut down the conference. He um, was just, he couldn't, he was, couldn't talk about it. He was devastated yeah. for his players. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's so many great pictures that have been around on social media. You can, this is a coach that loves his players. Um, He was not coaching to win for himself. And that was very clear. He was coaching because he wanted his athletes to win. Um, I mean, if his team could have won and he lost, he would have done that. Um, And, you know, that is, there's such power and grace in losing And that is, that is a gift that he has, that he has shared with, you know, his players. And there was probably no one more devastated than him that they lost. And yet no one with more grace and humility when he lost. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty, that's a remarkable coach. And, you know, you don't, we don't see that as much as I would like. And I worry we're not raising our, you know, the, our, these next generation of athletes that way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we live in a world where everybody gets a trophy and everybody wins and nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. And that's not raising a generation of athletes who will, you know, move into coaching, some of them, to then be a coach like Monty Williams. They're going to be more coach like I don't know, Bob Knight or somebody who's, you know, maybe we wouldn't want our kids to be around. I'm not going to pick on him, but it's, it's really unfortunate because there is such, there's so many lessons to be learned when you lose. And and sometimes those are the most important lessons and and the more important lessons. And, you know, and so how do we do that? How do we raise these kids to, to know what it's like to lose and to lose with grace and to lose being happy for the side that wins? That's really hard to do. And we can't teach adults that. Um, and we're not teaching our young kids that, but some are. Um, so my son, as you know, Edward, he comes home next weekend. We're very excited. He's been gone for a long time. Yeah. You know, they, they have a, a, their camp has what they call color war and it is four days of super intense competition. It, mm-hmm. they divide the camp up into two teams. It is hardcore. It is four intense days. They are all in it's sports. It's trivia, it's Jenga, it's cooking, it's plays, it's relays, it runs the gamut. You don't have to be a great athlete to participate. And they go all in. And when color war is over, you are no longer allowed to wear your team colors. And one team wins and one team loses. And they are crushed when they lose. And they are thrilled and cheering when they win. And it lasts about three minutes. And then they're all hugging each other and happy for their teammates and happy for the other team that won. And happy for their cousins that won or their friends. And I, it is crushing to me as a parent when, you know, Edward's side loses, but it's, that's how they learn. That's what our kids need these days because they're not getting that. Some are, Um, but you know, how are we going to raise coaches like Monty Williams? We're going to send them to camp and experience color war and they're going to learn, they're going to learn how to lose. 
And, <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's a silly thing that we want our kids to learn, but they're going to lose. I think it's important just to point the way and show an example like Monty Williams. I think that's part of it. Um, I also think it's one of the better arguments for why be a Christian today, because I think to be a Christian is to be countercultural. And you're saying like, Haley, I can't tell you how often I hear people say everybody gets a trophy and nobody likes what this culture is, but then we're aware of it. We've named it, but who is changing it? Who's saying, I'm going to be the parent who's like, I'm going to do it different. You know what I mean? Or I'm going to just, I'm going to, it's going to be tough. It's going to be divided. And, um, but it's, I I don't know. I mean, is it going to take a bunch of us like conspiring to (laughs) stop giving these trophies and awards? Like at some point we have to just say, I'm going to be countercultural. And I think, again, to me, that's what being a Christian is, is to be countercultural, um, is to, you know, renounce ourselves in the favor of something greater. And the more we can, and I know Monty Williams is a man of faith. Like he talks about it openly. So mm-hmm. part of me thinks this is not unrelated. And, um, you know, maybe that's where a deep prayer life could help a person because, it does take some inner resolve and some commitment to being different and to holding your ground and believing that this is the right way to be. So, um, you know, I think it's great that this camp, whatever they've done to an, allow young people to have the real competition, it doesn't sound like it's compromised. Oh no! And yet they can also like both can be true. They can be happy for the victor, upset for themselves and still love the competition. I mean, that to me is a win right there. It's a huge win. And I will post a link to the blog that they write about it because that is, that's what they're teaching them. They're teaching them that there is success in failure and, um, you know, that it's a great thing to have. So that's a great time to move into our spiritual stew. Um, I'm happy. I, um, today's gospel doesn't always happen, but, um, I'm, I'm, my spiritual stew comes from today's gospel. And, you know, it's interesting sometimes when I'm, you know, in mass, I listen, my mind wanders from time to time. I'm sure everybody's does, but there's something about a gospel that, um, you've heard before. That's a a common one, um, that tends to grab my attention. And so of course, today we have the gospel of John um, it's the bread and fishes story. Um, I'm, I'm sure it, I, I call it mainstream. I'm not sure it's mainstream, um, although I, I think most Christians have heard it. Maybe um, non-Christians are familiar with it as well. When Jesus, of course, um, feeds you know uh, the thousands of people with the the small number of of bread and fish. So why? So I pay attention. They, for whatever reason, when I've heard the gospel before, it's like, oh, okay, it's this one. So then I pay attention more. Why is that? Why does it grab my attention? And I thought about this. Um, you know, what, what, what does that mean? One, it means I probably need to pay attention more often. Two, it means I need to um, probably listen to the stories that I haven't heard because this is one I knew. But I also started thinking about what is what does the bread and fishes story mean in my life? Obviously, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, all of a sudden I need to turn more, you know, increase bread, feed more people. It's that's clearly um, not to be taken literally. And yet in some ways it is. So I have thought about this. Um, my mind did wander a little bit during the homily, but here's what my takeaway is from this. So tell me what you think. Okay. We need to be happy with what we have because yeah. it's enough. Yeah. 
And if we worry about it not being enough, we shouldn't focus on worrying about it not being enough, right? In the gospel, they're worried that we only have so many loaves, we only have so many fish. How are we going to do this? They're all worried about that. And Jesus is saying, it's enough. Mm. It's enough. And I think for me, that's that's my takeaway from this week's gospel is I can look at what I have, not necessarily bread and fish, whatever aspect of my life I want to look at, and not the goal what jesus is saying is don't look at it and think this isn't enough right whatever i have it's enough and whatever i have it's going to give me what i need as long as i have my faith there Mm. um so i don't know that's that's my interpretation of this of this week's gospel that wasn't you know sometimes i don't i love it when the priest talks about the gospel sometimes the priest never talks about the gospel like i guess (laughs) i always thought that was the point of the homily, but it is, it I didn't is. get much guidance. I didn't. I didn't get much guidance this week. But so that's my that's my yeah. takeaway, right? Jesus is saying this is enough. You only have yeah. two loaves. You're good. Uh, you know, I to be happy with what we have and to know that with Jesus in our lives, with our faith, what we have is plenty. Yeah, what a great takeaway, Haley. Thank you for that. Um, so it's funny because when I was reading over our notes. I wrote down the word sufficient because that is what stuck out for me. I went at 8 a.m. this morning and they said, you know, they had, there was enough for everybody and there was enough that they were full, you know, it was like, and I think about dinner and, you know, do you prepare enough? And it's a terrible feeling when, you know, you prepare a meal and you're not sure that it's enough, you know, it's like, oh, I hope there's enough for everybody. But when you have enough and not too much, it's just so, so great. But, um, you know what we have been given so much and um this gospel which is in all you know it's in the synoptics it's that important that jesus wants us to hear that message yeah five fishes and right, five loaves right and it, it fed them all i mean it's incredible so right. um i think that's a great message and a great takeaway to consider yeah i i think we do have all we need i don't i think it compromises our happiness when we think you know, we don't have X, Y, Z. And it's, again, we're talking about our culture. It's so easy to just see what we don't have as opposed to what we do have. Right, right. So thank you for that. And um, as a teacher, you know, hey, I can speak to that. <laughs> My God, when you, um, okay, today's lesson is going to be about this, and but you really haven't prepared in the same, enough, speaking of enough. And so you took something else. But um, my the the gospel for me um there was a missionary priest from nigeria and he linked it to um the message of the patron saint of the parish saint vincent de paul and um he used the line from matthew 25 verse 40 and whatever you do for the least of my people that you do unto me um so okay here we are talking about you know, the people are hungry, they're going to Jesus, they've been given. And then really our message to, because we've been given a lot, we have a responsibility to give to others was kind of his challenge. And he talked about Nigeria, how um, his country is half Muslim, which I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And many people um, are Christian and they live in harmony and how he, in his own family, not everybody was Christian. And um, it's just my sense was that the people really support one another, but he has this vocation and um, through the schools, they've really been able to educate people in the faith and um, how a little can really go a long way um, in terms of American dollars. So he was fundraising, 
which I didn't mind because I loved learning about, you know, his people, his country, but um, the reality of like how little they have and how, if we can give, it can really feed, literally feed people and then nourish them through their faith. But he didn't just say the, the words, he actually sang them. And I was kind of annoyed at mass because I like my 8 a.m. mass because there's not a lot of singing. And so this cantor is back and I was like, oh God, it's going to be a longer mass. And then, so the cantor is separate than the priest. But then when he got up there, he smiled. He has this gorgeous smile. And then when he sang, he had just such a beautiful voice. And it was like, really, I wish the people, myself included, had joined him in singing because he brought such joy so um, I want to pray for him and his vocation and his ministry and his uh, missionary work. But it reminded me um, a couple years ago when there was the shooting at Charleston's Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. For me, that shooting was just, it was so hard because it was a, like several black elders that had gathered in prayer and the shooter was a white man that came in and prayed with them and then took their lives. And to me, it was, that's just diabolical. I, I just, I still, you know, Sandy Hook is obviously tragic. All of them are tragic, all of them. But this one, for whatever reason, just got me. And President Obama spoke at the uh, memorial service and gave the eulogy and he sang Amazing Grace. It was unbelievable. So I thought of President Obama when this Nigerian priest was singing because it was, they were good orators, you know, very talented in their voice, but man, I had no idea Barack could sing. And he went low on Amazing Grace. Like you got to hear it. You expect him to go one direction. He goes low. It is so good. And um, I just, now when I hear that song, I think of that church and I think of um, Amazing Grace is obviously a great, you know, it's a song this country loves, but I, I do think of those people and that loss. So um, maybe I'll, my takeaway this week will be to continue praying for, you know, Amazing Grace in the world, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And we'll have to post a link to that. Um, yeah. That's where, you know, music is so powerful. Um, and, you know, just as, you know, when you talked about your priests, and even, you know, President Obama saying the words, words are one thing, but it's really powerful to hear them in song. And I, I there's something about music that can be very moving. Um, you know, even we talked about Bruce Springsteen a, a few minutes ago, right? There's just something about some songs that just um, invoke an emotion and a reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that that's really pretty powerful. So I, one of my takeaways will be to, to look that up. Um, I hadn't seen that. I didn't know that maybe I did at the time and I've forgotten, but it doesn't sound like I would forget it if I heard it. So I will yeah, have to look up yeah. president yeah. Obama singing that. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm going to pray for this week for all of us to, to really seek and find peace in knowing that what we have is enough. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I, I'm thinking more, of material things, right? Yeah. Um, not yeah. so much more spiritually, but um, to pray f also for those who are hurting, um, to know that what they have is enough. And I think that's, you know, I talk about that a lot when I'm speaking just in general, right? When you talk about who we are and who we want to be when life is going really well, that that's easy to see that we and feel like we have enough. But when we are really challenged and you know, I've got two friends right now who are really hurting in, in tough ways and, you know, their families are falling apart, their marriages are falling apart. And I'm 
thinking of them in particular, you know, praying for them to know that they're enough themselves. Um, and, you know, if yeah. they can, and they're both, you know, faith-filled people, and hopefully they'll be able to, to hear this gospel today and rely on their faith and know that, um, you know, even during these challenging times, um, with what, what we have with our faith is enough, um, although it's harder to see when life is tough. So there's still a lot of hurt out there, um, recent hurts and old hurts that, that still um, fester. And so we, we keep those in mind as we move through this week too. Along with the Olympians, we pray everyone is safe, that everyone continues to be able to compete, that the message continues to be the athletes and not uh, everything else in this crazy world. Yeah. Well, and even if that's just you and me and, you know, our listeners being that person in their, you know, communities and local circles, sharing that story. And, you know, as you were talking about your friends that, you know, I, it's one, yeah, I thank you for acknowledging the place in which we stand. It's one thing to be like, it's enough when we're in a, you know, good space, you know, consolation, but when we're in desolation that you have all the tools you need, you have the faith that is, that is faith, I think right there. So yeah. Yeah, yes. let's pray for for those people and um and that yeah, amazing grace finds them. That amen. Well, thank you, Anne. I hope you have an awesome week. I know you're headed back to work, so we look forward to catching up next week as you return to, you know, start preparing for the fall. It's huh. it's still summer. We're only a little bit over halfway through, but I know we're all a lot of us are looking forward to to the fall. So it's gonna be enough that today we don't need to look forward too much we're going to enjoy this last day of the week Um, but we hope everyone has a great week as well thanks so much have a great week you too